My friend, Pastor Bruce Zachary, taught me this simple but profound phrase, not one of us is as good as all of us. Today, we're going to talk about how a great vision takes a great team to accomplish it. You're listening to the Leadership Lessons Podcast, hosted by Pastor Daniel Williams, a podcast to encourage and equip church leaders. Brought to you by eeleaders.com. Well, hello, everyone. It is so good to be back with you again. I've really enjoyed being able to pour into you in this way through these episodes and Bible studies. I hope that you've enjoyed this sort of different format. You're getting not tired of me, but encouraged by me as we study through the book of Nehemiah. And we're coming on the second half of the season with episode 12 today. And yet there's still a lot more we can learn from Nehemiah's leadership together as we as he just starts to rebuild the wall in Nehemiah chapter 3. Now, last week, we talked about how great vision takes great work, and we need to expect great work. It's a biblical concept to work hard unto the Lord, and we need to do this to accomplish great vision, especially the vision that God has given to us. And it's okay to be tired at times because work Man, in leading others, it's hard. It, it takes energy and takes effort, and it, and it could be sometimes even discouraging. But the but the important thing is is not to give up and to continue to work unto the Lord, to continue to remain strong in Him and His grace. I like what Albert Einstein once said. He said, "It's not that I'm so smart; it's just that I stay with problems longer. It's not that I'm so smart, even though he was a genius, right? It's just that I stay with problems longer." We have to be resilient in our leadership and persevere unto the Lord. I was recently talking with my dad and he told me that even a slug made it to the ark. Just a funny reminder to keep going, man. Uh, you may be dragging or going slow, slower than what you think, especially when it comes to God's timing, right? We always want to rush ahead of it. Things get hard and we have struggles, but man, don't give up. Keep going. Do the work that God's calling you. And I just want to remind you, I'm praying for you. I hope you're encouraged by these Bible studies, these lessons, these interviews, and what we're doing here at eeleaders.com is just trying to encourage and equip church leaders. And so, how you are serving Jesus and his church matters, okay? And Jesus is with you. He is faithful. And our God says in Isaiah 40, 10, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I don't care what your position is, what if you're a lead pastor, a volunteer, not even plugged into a church. If you are a believer in Christ, following God, doing that work, man, just continue to do this great work that God has called you to do. It's important and don't give up. And so today we're going to move through chapter three of Nehemiah. And I want to remind you another important thing, the importance of working not only hard, but with a team. That's right. You don't want to work alone. You want to do this great vision that God's called you with a team. And you see this phrase or theme pop up over and over and over again in Nehemiah chapter three that I think that we can learn from. The text says next to them or after them or by them. Hey, this group did this, this, and this. And then next to them was this group and they did this, this, and this, and this. And then, and then by them, it was this people and then that people. And the Bible actually talks about the importance of teamwork in accomplishing the vision that God gives us. You get the feeling that it took a lot of people to rebuild the wall because it did. And Nehemiah records that in chapter three. 
And that is what I want to talk to you about today, how it takes a team, a team to accomplish great vision. Yes, it's going to take work. You have to have the mindset yourself, but it said the people had a mindset. The work of rebuilding the wall was done by many and it just wasn't done by Nehemiah, not even just the leader. We need to realize that if we want to be a part of a great work of the Lord, we need to be on a team. And often people only praise or look to a leader, but we know it takes a great team to accomplish a great vision. Now, this is a biblical concept, and I love what 1 Corinthians talks about teamwork in the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. He goes on and says in verse 27 through 30, Now you... That's right. Individually are the body of Christ. You're not to be independent, but interdependent and individual members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration and various kinds of tongues. All are uh, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles do all possess gifts of healing do all speak with tongues and do all interpret and of course the answer is no we're all different we have different offices different positions different roles in the church and God meant this to happen we have different parts to play but God wants us all to do our part and to be a part of his body his team to accomplish the work that he's called us to do as his people the church and here in chapter 3 we see that it took a lot more people working on this wall than just Nehemiah. Nehemiah was in unity. He was in unity. And I love what Psalm 133 says about unity and teamwork. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard and the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. What this text is saying, it's like sweet fragrance, ointment, oil, perfume, Verse 3 says, it's like dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. It's it's life-giving, walking in unity, it's saying. For there the Lord, the text says, commands the blessing, life forevermore. Do you want to have some more life in your ministry, in your church, in your vision, in your leadership? Work with people. Be unified. Unity is a powerful thing. Build a team around you. You know, Neil Armstrong is a household name. Why? Because he was the first man that walked on the moon. But he acknowledges that he did not land on the moon alone, that there was an incredible team to accomplish it. In the book Team Moon, how 400,000 people landed Apollo 11 on the moon, he says that it took millions of hours from thousands of people to land on the moon. And I quote from Neil Armstrong, we had hundreds of thousands of people all dedicated to doing the perfect job. And I think they did about as well as anyone could ever have expected. Even Neil Armstrong acknowledges that he did not accomplish this great task by himself. Neil Armstrong recognizes in his humility that it was more than him that just landed on the moon. It took a team. Do you have humility in your leadership? Do you recognize the importance of a team? Whether you are a leader or just simply a member or follower, we need each other. We all have a part to play. And I love Nehemiah is acknowledging his team in this chapter because he says, hey, next to them, next to them. And after them, there was these person and then those person and these person and next to them. He's recording the efforts of the people's work and their labor. He's acknowledging that it just wasn't him. 
Do you ever acknowledge and recognize your team? I think it's important at times to say thank you to others, especially if you are a leader. We need to make sure pride doesn't creep in, like it's all about us. Man, I I don't know about you, but I think about Redemption Church. I even think about e-leaders in the ministry. This would not be taking place if it was just relied on me. There are many people uh, that are able to help me with it, writing summaries, uh, giving giving finances to buy a new mic, doing uh, different things behind the scenes to just make it all run. Uh, no matter how good our leadership is, we have to be a part of a team. And many of us stand on the shoulders of others who have poured into us. And so acknowledge that, recognize that, don't walk out in pride and say thank you. Be grateful for your team. And I love my team. My team, hopefully you're listening. I love you. You're great. You're amazing. It's so important. And you may not even have think it's a very important role, but it is even just the simple fact that we get to do things with people is a blessing. And there's a blessing in having relationship and being able to love people and have a right focus on the Lord and not us as the main leaders. Now, Nehemiah is showing us this principle as he names people by their names. He's acknowledging that we all have a role to play. God wants us um, all in unity to do great things for his kingdom. And unity, remember, is not uniformity. It is good to be uh, uniquely made and be still a part of a team. And I love some of the examples in this chapter. I sort of summed it up and was studying it, looking through in verse 1 and 12 through 19, you see that there are rulers and there are priests. So you have rulers and priests building the wall. But then in verse 12, it says there are men and women. They're both building the wall. In verse 8 and 32, they mention professional craftsmen, so skilled people. And so you would think, okay, great, professionals. Well, they built the wall. But verse 2, 5, and 7, they mention people outside the city that were not professionals. So you have professionals, non-professionals, men, women, rulers, priests. There's all types of people building the wall, and we need all types of people to work in the church, don't we? It seems like there's a place for everyone in the work of the Lord, and I think this is intentional. This includes people like you and like me, people that are leaders and non-leaders. Listen, we all have an influence and a calling of God, and it's important. It's just not, the church is just not full of leaders, Primarily, we're all to be followers of Jesus. He's the head of the church. And there is a place for all of us in the kingdom of God to do his work. You don't just have to be a leader or a senior pastor to have influence and lead. In fact, in his book, How to Lead When You Are Not in Charge, Clay Strogan says this, Each of us has a unique opportunity to create something right where we are at. Um, It doesn't require special authority or a fancy title or having the corner office. We are all able to have influence, he says, and and to make a difference no matter what our title is. He continues to go on and says, Jesus argues that the best leaders are the ones who align with his vision for leadership, who will lead as servants, who are aware of their responsibility and who answer to a higher calling. We lead and serve based on Jesus' calling in our life and not our position. But oftentimes the people of God are deceived by Satan and don't think that they could do very much without a position. But God has given us the greatest position, the identity. We are his children, his body. And so this chapter shows us that we can all be used by God. You may say, well, I don't have the skills, but we need 
to be a willing servant, uh, not just one that has skills. Uh, Raphia, in verse 9, the son of Hur, he was a leader of half the, half the district of Jerusalem. He wasn't a skilled craftsman, but he was a great leader, willing to serve and get dirty. He was willing to do whatever it took to accomplish the vision, and God used him and used that willingness. And so you don't have to have the most skills to be used by God. You need to be willing. But you may say, well, I, I have a past. I, I can't be used by God. But listen, don't let the past haunt you. In verse 11, there's a guy named Malchiah. I hope that's pronounced right. He was the son of Harmon. And this man is actually mentioned in Ezra 10:31 as one of the men who was confronted by Ezra for sin and taking on a pagan wife. He repented. He got things right with God. And now years later, guess what he's doing? serving the Lord. You see, you can walk in forgiveness of God. You can repent and you can follow him today. You may have a past, but don't let be hindered by your past. Go to God and be used by him and repent. You may say, well, well, I, I, I maybe don't, I'm not a great willing leader and, and, uh, and, uh, man, I'm a stay at home mom and I can't leave my house very much, especially in the pandemic or trying times or whatever it may be. Well, I love what this text says. People worked where they were at. With what they had, God used him. Five times it speaks of those who worked on the section right in front of their house. God wants to use us all to be used with the available amount of time that we have, with our skill set, and what we can give. You may not say, I have nothing much to give, but give God little, and he will do much with it. Everyone can get their skin in the game in the body of Christ, and God wants everyone in his church to be involved, whether they have half the district and is a leader, or they just have a little bit of section by their house. First Peter 4.10 tells us, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's variety grace. Are you stewarding God's grace well? If not, the whole body hurts. And all these people in this chapter had different skills, responsibilities, and parts to play. And no matter what the size of the job, they all needed one another. It was a wall and it all connected, didn't it? And so, man, to sort of close this section of it takes a team, what talents, what time, what treasures do you have? What gifts has God given you to use for his kingdom? Because I believe God has given you a certain gift, a task, an accomplishment to accomplish great things with other people in the body of Christ. Ephesians 4, 7 says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Let's steward God's grace well, and when we do, there will be great fruit because great vision requires a great team, and we need you to be a part of this team, the role that you're playing, the ministry that you have, and God wants to use you, you, to be serving others in his church. So let's continue to accomplish the vision together and with other people. Join us for a conversation with Pastor Daniel and his dad, Pastor Joe Williams, as they share a pastoral perspective on the book of Nehemiah. Well, we're talking about teamwork and continuing to interview Pastor Joe Williams off the cuff here in Tacoma, Washington. Man, we are just pounding out, talking, having some great conversation uh, and we're talking about teamwork. And one of the ways, one of the things I love about this podcast, EE Leaders, is just not me teaching you. Uh, I pull experiences from a lot of people, a lot of my network, my team, pastor friends, mentors, coaches, uh, people that I look up to or I'm even pouring into because I think that a great, in order to accomplish a great vision, you have to have a great team. 
How have you seen that to be true? To pull in people on your team to accomplish a great vision. What does the Bible talk and say about that for uh, teamwork in our life? Well, you got to have a good team. You can't you can't do it all yourself, and uh, you don't want people to see that you're trying to do everything yourself. That's not a good leader. A good team is people who are gifted. Uh, that God has placed beside you to help you. And God will show you who those people are. You know, in our church service, there's always people there uh, an hour before the service starts. And they doing stuff an hour before the service starts. Those are the people that I want on my team. The ones that are self-motivated. The ones that is self-driven. The one that takes the extra step, they make sure everything is in order by 10 o'clock. They come every single Sunday. That's how I pick my elders. That's how I pick my leaders is because these people are already leading. They're already doing the work. So I watch, because my church is small enough where I can watch people and I can see what they do. And if they're already serving without me even asking them. And sometimes people will ask me, say, do you need anything done around the church? Uh, can I do anything to help you? So I'm thinking, okay, this guy could be a potential leader here. He's, he wants to do something. Um, however, there's other people who don't. There's some people, they come late. They don't stick around for fellowship. As soon as the doors, as soon as the service is over with, they out the door. Those are the kind of people I don't want on my team. I want the people who, and there are some people stay an hour later. They still talking to people. They out in the parking lot. They talking to people, you know, and they out there, they drinking iced tea and they drinking ice water and they sitting on the grass and they talking and they just having a great time and they praying with people. I see them praying with people. I said, these are the guys that I want on my team. These are leaders. And I tell them, I said, you are a leader. God has gifted you to lead. They can't see it. I said, they said, well, why you say that? I said, because you're already doing it. You're already, you're already praying with people. You're not a proudful person. You're willing to get here early. You're willing to stay late. You're willing to serve. These are the people that I recognize that I want on my team because I want the right people on my team. I don't want lazy people on my team. I want the people that have the same drive that I do. So you'll, you'll see those people. You'll recognize those people. Some people are going to go the extra mile and do things without you even asking them. And that's the kind of person you want on your team. Well, let me ask you this, Pastor Joe. Sometimes we're blessed because we get to pick our own team, pick the people, see the qualifications and do it. But what do you do as a leader when you have people that you can't pick? That God is either placed there or you inherit a bad team. What do you do? What's What do you do? How do you have patience through people that just don't get the things that you value? They got to know what you value. Everybody don't know what you value, but you got to make it clear what your values are. And you know, if a person is teachable, they can always get there. They can always grow into it. It might take a little bit of time. And that's why you have to be patient. But a person has a willing heart and willing to be teachable and willing to listen to my counsel, uh, I can see potential in that person. I can see that person someday getting there. But if a person is 
not refuse if he if he's not willing to receive my my counsel and my advice and he just want to just do his thing then it's probably not going to work because certain things in the church has to be done i mean it has to be anything that is organ disorganized it's just going to be chaotic that's why you have to have the right people in the right places doing the right things because you put the wrong person in the wrong place you're going to have you're going to have problems uh i tell people all the time you can't do what you see other people do maybe god has gifted that person to do that and he hasn't gifted you to do that maybe he's gifted you to do something else so i tell people you go what god has gifted you what has god put on your heart to do you can't always you know do what other people what they're doing because God has called him to do something totally different. So you got to pray and see what God, how he wants to lead you. But those people, they have potential. They have a right heart. And sometimes people just have to be encouraged. You know, and it could take time. That's why the leaders sometimes have to be patient. But if a person is willing to learn and if a person is teachable, um, I think they can have great potential later on. Maybe not now, but you know, a year from now, everybody's different. Just keep working with them. Now, it seems like in our society, we value leadership and individuality. But yet, God says that we're a part of a body, that we're different. He actually says it's a good thing to be a part of team, pastoral team, ministry team, even a, a life partner as a team member. It seems like he connects us to people for a reason. And so... Why do you think God does that? Why do you got why do you think God works through community to not only get stuff done but to work in our hearts as well? Well, you can learn from other people. I mean, no one has arrived. God put other people in your life. You can learn from them too. You know, I, I learn from people all the time. You know, people have to also see that I'm teachable. That I haven't arrived, that I'm still learning, I'm still growing. And I tell people, I says, man, you a lot better at that than I am. You know, sometimes I hear a worship song, you know, and I says, man, you played that song beautifully. That was a beautiful song. I says, hey, could you give me the music to that and teach me that song? So I'm letting them know that I'm teachable. I'm willing to learn just like they are. And I said, hey, you know, God has really gifted you, man, and, and, and worship, man. I says, wow, you... You just sing and you play guitar so well. I said, man, could you teach me some things on the guitar? Oh, yeah, man, I teach you. I said, okay. So, uh, you know, I just let people know, hey, man, I'm willing to learn too. Uh, if you better at something than I am. And I tell my elders, I said, listen, I want you to be a better teacher than me. Because one of my elders asked me one time, said, hey, Joe, is it okay if I preach one of your sermons? I said, only one condition. He said, what's that? He said, I said, I want you to preach it better than I preached it. If you want to preach my sermon, I want you to go out there and preach it better than I preached it. And then you can preach it. See, when I then he preached it better than I preached it. I go, okay, brother, you got it. You, got, you did a better job than I did. Great sermon. Great sermon. He didn't preach it exactly the way I preached it. He preached it better than I preached it. And um, I just want people to know what I'm, teach I'm teachable to. I'm willing to learn. I'm open. I'm willing, for, I'm willing to change. Something not working. Hey, I'll change it. You know, so that's 
where that's where I'm coming from. Well, let's talk about some of the best team members, specifically our spouses. Yeah. Okay. Because what we have to realize is God said it's not good for man to be alone and gave a helper. So we're connected not only relationally in ministry teams, but we have uh, pastoral teams, ministry teams. But it first really starts with a spouse and learning teamwork in a marriage partnership. Yeah. Uh, not lording over one another, submitting to one another, loving one another. And we need to talk about marriage when we talk about teams as well. Uh, how important is it for you to pick the right spouse for your future? Maybe there's a lot of people that aren't even married. They're single. They're new in ministry or they're partnering. How important is it to pick the right spouse to help you in ministry? Yeah, well, that's very important because, you know, your spouse is, you know, she's on your team and uh, whatever you go through, she's going to go through it with you and she's always going to be there. So it's very important, you know, to pick a spouse that has the same dreams and vision that you do. Um, I think when God calls one person, he calls the other. So, um, and she's always going to be there, you know, to encourage you. So that's why I keep saying you can't ignore your home, your marriage, your kids. Because your kids might grow up bitter if you do. Uh, I know I know kids PK kids they call them um, they won't go to church because the pastor was never there he was ministering to the whole world he was traveling here and traveling there but he le- he left his family way behind and he didn't build a good relationship with his children and his children till this day won't go to church because the you know the husband never was there but your wife is your best your best teammate really I mean you know, she's going to be there through thick and thin, through good times and hard times. So make sure you don't ignore uh, your spouse. I mean, I've seen it happen in ministry. And um, it's very sad because the woman, she feels like she's ignored. You know, she has needs too. She wants, you know, some of your attention, some of your time. You know, while you while you studying, she's watching the kids. She's doing the house, doing the housework. She's doing the cooking. Maybe she's doing the shopping to try to take some pressure off of you. So do not take her for granted because you really need her. Well, let me ask you this. How have you or how do we practically invest in our marriages and ministry? Because everything is demanding and, and maybe there are people that are married to uh um, their husbands and their godly, great, amazing, high capacity women leaders out there. So it's not just um, one one side or the other, but I think we all need to realize, okay, we're in it together. No matter if I have a husband or a wife, how do we invest in our marriage and have that partnership of strength to invest in other people? Well, you, you, your marriage is first. You know, even before the ministry, your marriage is first. And your wife... You know, if she gets down and need encouragement, need encouragement, stop and encourage her. You know, if, if I'm studying and if my wife comes into the room, I'm going to stop studying. But usually my wife won't disturb me when I'm studying because she knows I don't I don't want to be distracted. So she doesn't disturb me. But I, but if she does disturb me, it's very important. 
Because when I'm studying, I want it absolutely quiet. I don't want to hear no TV, no radio, no cell phone, nothing. I want it absolutely quiet so I can listen to the Holy Spirit or I can meditate and think. But my wife, I mean, just don't ignore her needs because I know a lot of people in Tacoma anyway, uh, the pastors have sometimes the worst marriages, even pastors, because they minister to everybody else. They minister to everybody else, but not their spouses. You know, you don't take them out. You don't buy them flowers. You don't take them to dinner. You don't take them on vacation. You don't do anything with them. You're always studying or you're always reading. It's ministry all the time. So she feels ignored. And sometimes they get bitter. So don't go down that road. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. You put your family first. And the ministry is going to take care of itself. I mean, God's going to hold the ministry together. But you got to prioritize things. Your wife is very important. She's on your team, and she's going to be there with you when nobody else will. You know, when I first became a pastor, all the people that said, you know, they said the previous pastor before you, Joe, they said that he was so educated using all those big words, and we didn't, underst we didn't understand those big words, and they told me I wasn't educated enough. I didn't know enough big words. I'm thinking, wait a minute. Uh, he's too educated and now you're saying, I'm not educated enough. And they say, well, we're going to stick we're gonna stick by you no matter what. They were gone within three months, all of them, gone. You know, you can't always depend on what people say. You know, people are fickle, you know. Uh, they said, did the same thing with Jesus. Hosanna. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. The same crowd, the same crowd two weeks later said, crucify him. Crucify They fickle. So you're going to have to really minister to your wife. Let her. You should be able to read your wife well enough to know when she needs uh, affection, when she needs attention, when she needs to get away from the wife, and I mean to get away from the um, house and the children, when she needs to um, get out of the house. You know, my wife loves to go shopping. I don't like shopping. I hate it. But I'll do it for her. And, you know, uh, I don't like it, but she does. You know, I stay in the store about an hour. I'm ready to go. I mean, I, I just don't like it. But I'll do it for her once in a while. And I get, and sometimes I'll take her and I'll sit in the car and I'll read. I mean, she comes out, and you know, and she tells me everything that she bought, man. And, boy, look at this. I got this on sale and I got that on sale. You know, that's, that's her thing. She likes to shop. I don't. But... You know, I'll die to Seth and I'll take her. I'll stay in the store for about an hour. And I said, well, I'm going to go ahead and sit in the car. You can stay as long as you want. Sometime I'll fall asleep in the car and take a nap. She comes out happy. I'm happy. And we go out of them every way. But, you know, sometimes you got to sacrifice for other people, right? Especially your spouse. Well, why is it important to not only sacrifice, but encourage? Nehemiah in this chapter, he's encouraging people and acknowledging their work. He says, this person's next to that person, this person's next to that person. And he's listing people by name. Yeah. How, how important it is to not only sacrifice, but maybe sacrifice with your words. Tell people, thank you. Acknowledge that they're doing a good job in teamwork. It's very important to acknowledge people and tell them, thank you. You, you appreciate them and let them realize that you need them. Let make them feel important. 
because they are important. God has placed them there to help you. You know, Paul recognized, you know, the last chapter of 1 Corinthians, you know, he greeted all the people in the ministry that helped him. You know, greeted Priscilla and Aquila. You know, you know, he different ones that had house churches in their home and stuff. He greeted all those people that worked with him in ministry. We should acknowledge those people and tell them thank you. You know, we really appreciate you, man, and you did a great job. You know, every time you encourage someone, they want to do better the next time. It's just like, you know, you're preaching a sermon and people come up to you after the sermon. They say, man, that was a good sermon. We really enjoyed that. You know what that, I know what it does to me is make me want to do better the next Sunday. Because encouraging people really builds them up. So you really want to build your wife up. It's not easy being a pastor's wife because everything the pastor goes through, guess what? She's going through it right with him. So it does affect her also. So guys, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Really, you will not, you will not be sorry because she's in there with you. Well, any last words that you have for leadership, marriage, just the importance of being a part of a team as we looked at Nehemiah and teamwork in this episode? Well, guys, you know, there's, there's great leaders. Uh, no perfect ones, but great leaders. And, you know, you can learn from other leaders, things that you can apply to your own ministry. So be open to learn as much about leadership as you can. The world's right now, you know, most people are spectators, but the world right now is looking for leaders. Because I believe that things rise or they fall on leadership. If a church is going to be uh, really fruitful, it's got to have good leadership. Not perfect leadership, but it's got to have leadership. So keep praying. Stay at it. God be with you guys, and I'll see you on the next episode. God bless. Thank you for joining us for today's Leadership Lessons podcast. For more content, you can visit eeleaders.com and follow us on social media at eeleaders.